that Linux is fun and the myriad of ways people put distros together should be reviewed often. My name is Moss. I live in eastern Tennessee. And my name is Tony, and I live in the northwest of England. Welcome to Distro Hopper's Digest. We love checking distros out. New distros, new versions of older distros, and maybe even some old distros we've missed. I have my preferences, and Tony has his. Perhaps together we can find some common ground to share with you. The idea of the podcast is that we each install a new distro to our chosen hardware for three to four weeks and use it as much as possible, perhaps even as our daily driver. We record all our trials, tribulations, fixes, what we liked and what we didn't. I like to find distros which would be kind to a new user, especially one who is hoping to move over from another operating system, such as Windows or Mac OS. We intend to give as much information as possible on each distro, and we'll also divulge what hardware we're using and how we think the hardware may have affected the rating. Welcome to Distro Hopper's Digest, episode 15, recorded on the 22nd of July, 2020. For this show, Tony is reviewing Bunsen Labs. Dale Miracle is going to make a special guest appearance to review Slackle, and then I'm doing something else. We'd like to hear from you what you'd like to see us take on, be it Debian, Red Hat, Arch, Susie, Mandriva, Slackware, or Gentoo-based distros. We continue to be more than six feet apart in these times of COVID. Monthly foibles, wherein we discuss what did and didn't work for us this month. Lots of things both worked and didn't work for me this month. I am saving some of them for later in the show. One thing that didn't work is that we didn't get the huge influx of reviewable distros that was expected, except for Mint 20. OpenSUSE finally arrived, but not in time to be evaluated this episode in full, and Slackware still has not released their next version. A lot of things I tried were just not ready or simply not intended to be used full-time. And we are getting more divergence in the way distros boot. First, Solus came up with a new bootloader, which does not play nicely with Grub, and now OpenSUSE wants to use Secure Boot, which does not even report to Grub. Work-wise, there are not any jobs opening up for which I am capable or eligible, and the lion's share of my unemployment money is running out this week. I've been staying home except for shopping and trips to the two credit unions with which I do business. Thanks to our listeners, I am upgrading a bit more equipment, including new SSDs, one of which has already arrived, and a new microphone, which should arrive later today. Anything new for you, Tony? Yeah, well, so, as you know, for the last few months, I started to restore old Matchbox model cars. Some of these come with decals or stickers to provide details on the model, such as advertising banners found on small delivery vans and trucks and some of the buses that they uh, released. I've been using Inkscape to make modern crisp images that I can use to recreate these. Well, I found out that although Inkscape 0.92 seems to have the feature that allows you to flow text to a plath, and this is useful if you want to put text in a circle, it was not working when I tried it. I installed the update of 1.0 as a flat pack in my Mint 19.3 install, and it now works! and proves that one of the advantages of flat packs and snaps is that the developer can roll out an update package, put it into a snap or a flat pack package, and it can be installed on any version of Linux. 
that you're able to run uh, snaps and flat packs on. Yeah, that was quite a, quite a f- good use of uh, flat pack for me. So the user gets the latest and greatest software without having to update their OS or resort to a PPA or compiling their own in- install via the terminal, which many ordinary Linux users, like myself, are still not comfortable with. What do you think about that, Moss? Well, I think some of us are still not comfortable with snaps and flat packs, but we're working on it. <laughs> Let's move on. Updates where we discuss what we've learned about distros we've already reviewed. I don't have anything new on distros I've reviewed. Tony? So as everyone probably knows, Mint 20 has now had the distribution release. And on Friday the 10th of July, the inline update was made available to those not wishing to do a clean install of their system. Now, I thought this was going to be available through the update manager, but it isn't. You have to jump through hoops at the moment. They haven't pushed it to the update manager. No, I don't think it's going to go through the update manager at this point. Uh, The hoops are possible to be leaped through, as I have managed to do that with all three of my installations between my two machines and my wife's. Yeah, I've I've installed it on one of the uh, small laptops that I use for distro testing this morning, actually. It doesn't always feel like you got it finished, but uh, my first upgrade uh, felt like, yeah, it said, well, nothing worked and there was nothing to do the auto remove on. And so I said, oh, well, and then the next day I booted up and uh, later in the day, I noticed that all my, uh, that my update manager was saying there's updates and wait a minute, that's not the same update manager icon I used to have. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I I was thinking that it would have stripped out SnapD, but it didn't. So maybe that'll disappear at some stage. I don't know. I'll have to keep an eye on that. <laughs> anyway, so uh, another distro I uh, reviewed was in this time last year, actually, Endeavor OS, which when I reviewed it, had just been released, has just celebrated their first anniversary. And they released their July 2020 ISO to uh, celebrate this. So uh, if you've not tried Endeavor, it's it's quite a nice, gentle introduction to Arch. So uh, maybe go and take a look, maybe download it and stick it in uh, a virtual machine and see what you think of it. I'll check this out. I've tried Endeavor a couple times and not really gotten what I needed. Manjaro has worked well for me, which is another Arch uh, based. Mm. Yeah, I've not really got to grips with Manjaro, but I, I did enjoy uh, running Endeavor for the month that I did. Shall we move on? Okay, well, let's move on to Bugs and Labs. Okay, so as Moss said, my distro this month is Bunsen Labs Linux, and I mainly run Helium, which is the Debian 9 base, but they are currently working on the um, upgraded uh, Debian 10 base, and they're calling that Lithium. So anyway, Bunsen Labs Linux came out uh, of the Crunchbang uh, Linux distro that Phil Nubra, a.k.a. Uh, Atcononimal, uh, created in around 2008-9 to scratch a niche, as they say in the Linux world. Originally, it was based on Ubuntu, but Philip changed this to a Debian base in 2010. 
until he laid down the project in 2015, as at that time he was realising that the work he was putting into it and the hassle he was getting from the community, or some elements in the community, were not worth it for what he was using Linux for at that time. The community decided it still wanted Crunchbang Linux, and several projects rose from the ashes, Bunsen Labs being one of these. And it's still going strong. For a more thorough look in the history, there's a link in the show notes to where I got that information from. So the current uh, release, Helium, is based on Debian 9, as I said, and the Lithium release, which is Debian 10 based, is currently in release candidate 3 stage and should be available sometime soon. Although they do seem to be kind of dragging it out, so I'm not sure how soon sometime soon will be but obviously if they're up to release candidate three they are progressing so the recommended resources to run uh, helium uh, on the uh, bunsen labs uh, website are as follows ram one gigabyte uh, as the minimum and two gigabytes recommended hard drive space 20 gig recommended They say the base install, uh, according to their website, will take up just over two gigabyte of drive space. You'll hear more about this later. This would make it very ideal for a low-resource system uh, hardware-wise. They also produce an x86 build, as they're still based on Debian, and Debian still produce an x86 uh, version, so they can still base it on that. So, installation. So I ran this on my Dell E7440, and I'm not going to go into the specs because I've discussed it every time this year, so they're in the show notes anyway. Just to say it's an i7 with 16 gig of RAM and uh, a nice SSD. So compared to the recommended resources, it's a beast for this distro. But I also installed the lithium uh, RC3 to an old Lenovo X200 tablet laptop i have this is an intel core 2 duo with a 1.86 gigahertz processor 4 gig of ram and a 128 gigabyte ssd so the install is fairly a fairly easy issue although it would not install from a ventroid disk i tried that on the uh, lenovo this morning and I had to put it on a self-contained USB drive because it just wouldn't. It it wouldn't. It said that the uh, CD drive just wasn't recognised uh, for an installation media. It did. It did boot up, but it wouldn't let me install it. <laughs> yeah, we are running into uh, Ventway as a great tool, but it doesn't work for everything. No. And I didn't even check to see if it was one of the distros that was on the approved list. So uh, it's not necessarily Ventoy's fault. There's uh, several distros that they know don't work. So anyway, it uses the Debian graphical uh, installer and it takes you through the usual process to set up your language, country, keyboard, network, user and user password. It also gives you the options for partitioning, including the option to encrypt the disk. After you're choosing the option you wish to use, you're shown what will happen to the disk and warn that all data will be lost. Yeah, we know that (laughs) towards the end of the install. It asks where you wish to install Grub, the Grub bootloader. Now, a lot of distros, they do this before you even go to install. But with this particular installer, you don't get the option to install Grub until 
the end of the install. It does give you a warning that if you don't install Grub, you're going to end up with an unbootable system. After this, you get prompted to restart the PC. Funnily enough, it took about the same length of time to install on my Dell, which is quite a powerful i5 machine. No, actually, the Dell I'm using is the i7. So, and the um, Core 2 Duo. So, obviously, you know, it works really well on uh, low-resource systems. So, on first boot after installing, uh, you get a terminal welcome screen. And uh, this opens to perform several post-installation tasks, including the upgrade of the system, because obviously, being based on Debian 9, you're going to have quite a few upgrades to uh, perform. Then it takes you through the option to add a few Debian backport repos, the Bunsen backport repos, JavaScript, a Flash plugin for the browser, some server and development package, and Dropbox. You don't have to click yes to everything. You can click no, and it won't install it. Now, what I liked about the updated Lithium was they've simplified that process on Helium. It does each one, one at a time, and you keep having to go back and do the next one. With Lithium, they've actually improved that process. You click yes or no, go through the list, and then it does all the all what you prepare, you want it to do at the end of the process. So you're only having to go through the process once, which I thought was really good. So post-installation hardware facts and issues. On both laptops, all the hardware was working, so there was no issues to report in that department. Ease of use. The desktop environment for both uh, installs is Openbox Window Manager, which is very sparse. On Helium, there's a taskbar at the top of the screen with shortcuts to Firefox, the file manager, text editor, and terminal on the left-hand side of that upper um, taskbar. Next, there are two virtual test, uh, desktop bars. Uh, but if, you, if you're using a mouse and you click on the scroll wheel of the mouse, you get uh, an option, a little menu that gives you the option to add or remove uh, how many virtual desktops you've got. To right of the taskbar is the volume control, power and con if you're on a laptop, network connection manager, time and power off icon, which gives you a bar with the icons for shutdown, logout, etc. Below this, on the right-hand side, you get the Conkey menu, giving you the current system information and some of the basic shortcut keys for starting software applications that the developers assume will be most used. Many of these start with the super key. So super key plus W, for example, brings up a default the default web browser, which was Firefox. Right-clicking the mouse anywhere in the desktop will also uh, bring up a menu where you can find the software that's pre-installed. Although this is uh, fairly minimal, uh, as the devs allow you to choose uh, the software that is your prefer- uh, preferences, so while LibreOffice Writer is installed, the rest of that suite isn't. But if you go to Office in the menu, uh, you get the option to install the, uh, some of the other components of the LibreOffice suite. You may wish to install or not, depends on your preferences.
This is the same in graphics and audio members where all the uh, menus, where all the usual suspects such as Audacity, GIMP, OpenShot, etc. are just a mouse click away. Clicking one of these will open a terminal win- window with a prompt to, uh, to install or not. It's interesting to note that on the Lithium Release Candidate 3, the taskbars moved to the bottom of the desktop and the few shortcuts that were on the taskbar have been removed and replaced with a menu icon. Also, there are a few more packages installed by default. One example is LibreOffice now comes with the spreadsheet package alongside the uh, word processor. As I uh, only installed this the last minute um, on the Lenovo, I've not had much time to delve too deeply, so there'll be other differences that I've not noticed yet. But these are tweaks rather than major changes to the OS, probably the result of feedback from the community as to how they would like it to be set up after install. Uh, It is interesting to note as well that there's no longer the uh, prompt to install software that's not already installed. I think they assume now that you've you know you're familiar with the kind of software you want and the app package manager that you can just go to the terminal and install whatever you need. So once I got used to the way Bunsen Lab with the Openbox window manager works, I found it fairly easy to use and found myself getting used to using the keyboard to open software or just right-clicking on the desktop to open the menu if I was looking for something. Synaptic Package Manager is installed by default and you can use that or the terminal for installing software. If you're familiar with the terminal in a dev-based system, then you won't have any issues installing any of the software available in the package manager. SnapD is also available in the repos, and once installed, snaps are a snap install away. While I would say that for users familiar with dev-based systems, they would within a short while find their way around Bunsen Labs. I do not think this is in any way a beginner's distribution, as the paradigm is just too different from a full desktop experience. Application issues. All the software I run on my laptops on a regular basis was available to install and use, so I had no issues with any of these. I installed Zoom from their download page and it worked just fine. However, to give it a desktop replacement try, I installed VirtualBox 6.1 from their website and after installation, tried to install Bunsen Labs ISO in a virtual machine. And I got an error message saying that EFI was not configured correctly. And despite going to the virtual box setup and selecting this uh, option in the settings, it would not boot the virtual disk. I checked to see if this was not the uh, an ISO issue, but I was able to install Bunsen Labs Fine in Mint 19.3 using the same VirtualBox 6.1 install. So it made you to be... Uh, it being Debian 9 based, I don't know. Although I installed the Debian 9 package, I may have been better installing the older version of VirtualBox from the repo. Memory use. On first boot of the laptop, memory use is a paltry 310 megabytes. And after a month of use and adding all the software I use, including the VirtualBox install that didn't work, it's still only using 7.7 gig of hard disk space. In a virtual machine on my desktop PC, set up with two virtual cores, 4GB of RAM and 15GB HDD, the system, after running setup tasks and adding some of the recommended software at first boot, it reports 190 MB of RAM usage and 4.2GB of disk usage. 
On the Lenovo first boot after install, it was actually reporting more than both of those. It was reporting 404 mega RAM use. And even before I started adding anything, it was reporting 3.25 gigabyte of SSD space being used. And after performing the updates and adding the additional software via the welcome script, this went up to 3.99, so effectively 4 gig. So while not as light RAM-wise as the previous release, still quite frugal. Although on all platforms, the HDDD SSD space used at first boot is a good 50% plus more than they say it will be on the website for Helium. Ease of finding help. I didn't actually go looking for any help in the community, but Bunsen Labs have their own active forums. And also, because it's Debian-based, you should not have any issue uh, getting support with Bunsen Labs, because if you can't get answers on Bunsen Labs, you might be able to find it on the Debian-based forums. Plays nice with others. Didn't test this, I'm afraid. Didn't do a dual boot in any of the systems that I ran it on, so... But I imagine it will be fairly straightforward. I can't see any problems with that. Stability. Well, as we've said many, many times, another Ethereum-based system based passes the rock-solid uh, pass mark. <laughs> I had absolutely no stability issues in the five to six weeks of running the system. So my ratings. New user-friendly install score? I would say 7 out of 10. I still think they could go to the, one of the more modern installers to make it a bit more user-friendly. But there again, this is not necessarily a user-friendly uh, distro in the first place, so maybe that's a bit by by the point kind of thing. But for experienced Linux users, I'd say 9 out of 10. The only reason I say 9 out of 10 is because the Grub issue, I don't see why they don't ask you where you want to put Grub at the beginning of it. I think if you've left it that late, it could get missed and you could just click through it without realising what you've clicked through. Hardware issues, 10 out of 10. Didn't have any. Ease of finding help, I'm going to say 10 out of 10 because uh, I know the communities out there are good. Ease of use, 9 out of 10. For an experienced user, yeah, not a problem. Plays nice with others, again, not tested, so uh, I'm not scoring that. Stability, big 10 out of 10. So my overall rating is 9 out of 10. Similar distros to check out? Well, there's another distro called Crunchbang++, and that's got the LXDM window manager or desktop environment. I'm not sure what that is exactly. I'm assuming it's a window manager. Galpon Mini No, which is an op- has OpenBox as the window manager. And then these next two use Fluxbox, and that's Slacks and Primtux, which is a French distribution. <laughs> so if you go to the website for that, uh, the page is in French. So you may have to use a translator to get uh, an English version. <laughs> I would think if you're adding this onto a machine because you don't have enough resources or space and you don't want a full graphical window manager, then you might want to also look at maybe Bionic Pup 64, which uses the JWM window manager, or uh, even uh, Bodhi, because that's pretty light in terms of usage. Yeah, yeah. And that uses the Moksha window manager, which is sort of the ultimate window manager. It's so It's got so many bells and whistles in it that it's almost a desktop. Okay, thank you. So my final comments. 
While I'm not a fan of tiling window managers, if I could only have a window manager and not a full desktop environment, Openbox would probably be the one I would go with long term. And the Bunsen Lab distro has used it well, particularly with the tweaks they've made in Lithium. Once you get used to the new workflow to start programs and to do tasks on the PC, it is a fairly simple process and OS to use. With the benefit of that, it will work very smoothly on older hardware with less resources than most recent desktops and laptop PCs will come with. So unless you're buying a really ultra-cheap PC, most come with at least 8GB of RAM as standard these days because that's the optimal RAM for Windows 10 although it will run with 4GB. But any dual core or better with 4GB of RAM and an SSD will fly with Bunsen Labs OS, as I can t- attest to on the uh, Lenovo, and be more than usable for all but the most resource-intensive tasks. If you have the latest and greatest hardware but prefer a minimal desktop environment, but not fond of tiling window managers, but then this could be the solution for you. You will have access to all the software where you want from the Debian and Bunsen Labs repositories. And for more up-to-date software, Snaps are also available after the install of SnapD. I didn't try to see if Flatpak were available. I'm not sure about that. The one area I would not recommend this OS for is new Linux users. The workflow is just too different to what they will be familiar with. One of the Ubuntu flavours or my preferred choice of Linux, Mint, Matt, Mate, are far more suitable for that situation. Any Anything to add on that, uh, Moss? No, let's move on. Okay. We now bring you a special report from one of our listeners. Hello, I am Dale Miracle. I will be reviewing Slackle 7.3 64-bit Mate Edition, though a 32-bit version is available. Moss mentioned Slackle to me on Telegram. I was curious about it because my first Linux distro was Slackware in the fall of 1995. Slackle is based on Slackware and Salix, which is also based on Slackware but hasn't been updated in over four years. Slackle uses the development branch of Slackware, Packages are from Slackware, Current, Salix, and Slackware repositories. It uses the 5.4 kernel and version 1.22.1 of the Mate desktop. To name a few popular applications, Slackware uses Firefox version 78.0.2, LibreOffice 6.4, and Thunderbird 68.10.0. It also includes video and graphic applications, among others. Even though Slackle was designed to install to a USB drive, I installed it on the SSD of my spare laptop. My hardware is a Lenovo ThinkPad T430. It has an Intel i5-3320M processor and 4 gigabytes of RAM with a 240 gigabyte SSD. Installation. I put the Slacko live image on my USB stick using DD. Upon boot up, I was presented with a screen asking for my language. Then I had the choice of using the live environment or the persistent live environment. 
where any changes you make will be saved for future reboots. I chose the live environment since I was going to install on the SSD. Once at the desktop, I opened the Slacko Live installation application. The icon for it was placed on the desktop. I was asked for the password. Not knowing this piece of information, I guessed a couple common passwords, then I went to their website. On the far right of their menu was the Slacko Startup Guide. In that guide, they mentioned that the password is 1. That is the username that is used in the live environment. And oddly, I didn't try that as the password. I entered the password and the installer opened. The installer is old style. An experienced Linux user would not have any trouble using it. For someone new, the startup guide is a must. Without using the startup guide, in my opinion, it would be very unlikely that a new user would be able to install successfully. There are many checkboxes and drop-down menus. While it was installing, I looked through the guide. It was very nice. They have instructions for computers with either BIOS or the newer UEFI, and there are screenshots and detailed instructions. The installation completed in a few minutes. I clicked on the small window that appeared informing me that the installation has finished. I closed the installer and rebooted the computer. I experienced no installation issues. Post-installation hardware and issues. Upon boot up, I was presented with a login screen asking for my username. Then it asked for my password. Succeeding at this, I was taken to the Mate desktop. The screen was at the correct resolution. My track point and buttons worked as they should. I had previously disabled the touchpad in the ThinkPad setup because I can't stand them. I have never been able to use them ever since they were created in the 1990s, so I can't speak on how it works. I clicked on the network icon. My wireless card was detected, and after a brief scan, I was shown the available networks. This is where I had some issues. Instead of using standard names such as WPAPSK to enter my Wi-Fi passphrase, they used very vague technical names. It took me two tries to find the one that I needed. This is not good. When a person with 25 plus years of network and computer experience has to guess which one he needs, they should do better. Since I got it configured, it has connected on every boot up. I configured my HP LaserJet Color 100 MFP M175NW. It is connected to my network via wired Ethernet. Connecting a printer in Slackle is not automatic as it is in other distros. To connect it, I chose the administration menu from the Mate top panel. From there, I selected printer settings. Once in the printer settings, I clicked on add. In the next screen, I selected network printer. That opens a drop-down menu. I chose find network printer. To the right, there is an input box where you type in the IP address for the printer. After you enter the IP address, click find. 
Once complete, it will show you the available connection types at the bottom of that window. The only connection type of my HP is JetDirect. Now click Forward. Now you will select the driver. I scrolled down the list until I found HP. Clicked on HP from the list, then clicked Forward. I was presented with a list of models. I scrolled down and found one close to my model. I selected the Color LaserJet Pro MFP M176N using the CUPS driver. The CUPS driver was already highlighted and was denoted as recommended. I clicked forward. The next screen is where you change the name that is already pre-populated. If everything looks good, click apply. The next pop-up window will ask if you want a test print. Click OK or cancel. If you chose to do a test print, another pop-up will confirm that your test print was sent to the printer. From there, you can click OK. The printer settings window now shows my printer listed and set as the default. To view the settings, double click on the printer icon. Ease of use. I've been using Slackle since July 16th until the recording date of July 18th. It has been very enjoyable overall. I use the G-Slapped package manager to update the system. Since then, I have been notified of new packages. I provide my password and follow the prompts, and they download and update with no issue. The only issue I've had was when I tried installing VLC, which is a video program. GSLAP warned me of some dependency issues and warned me not to install it. So I opened the terminal window and read the man page on slapped-git. To do so, type man space slapped-git and press enter. I was able to learn the command switches to use with it. I installed VLC this way with no errors reported. I closed the terminal and opened gslapped again. I search for VLC and it shows it as not installed. So again, I opened the terminal. I found the command switch for slap git to show me the installed files. VLC was among those listed as installed. I then closed the terminal window. I wanted to test the networking and also video playback. So from the places menu, in MATE, I chose connect to a server. From there, I chose Windows Share and filled out the details for my Samba server. It opened Kaha, the file manager that is used in MATE, and displayed the folders and files in that share. A link was created on my desktop as well. I randomly clicked on an MKV of Austin Powers International Man of Mystery and it opened SM Player by default. I also tried VLC and both applications played the movie with no problem. Memory use. After installation on first boot up, it was using 384 megabytes of RAM. 
I've noticed under normal usage, it was around one and a half to two gigabytes. The install size on the SSD was about 8.6 gigabytes. Ease of finding help. The only help I needed was to find the password required during the installation. I found the startup guide from their homepage. It opened up a forum posting with the option of viewing it as a PDF, EPUB, or HTML. Ease of use. Overall, it was a good experience. I will take some points away for the problems installing VLC and the lengthy process it took to add a printer. So with that said, I will give it a 7 out of 10. Plays nice with others. I did not try to dual boot this with any other distro. Stability. I haven't had any stability issues in the days I've been using Slackle. I have left the laptop on with the Matrix screensaver active, picking it up and using it throughout the day. Similar distros to check out. Slackware, Salix, and Vector Linux. Ratings. Ease of installation, new user, I would give it a 7 out of 10. If it wasn't for the installation guide, I would probably make that 3. Experience user, I would say 10 out of 10. Hardware issues, 10 out of 10. Ease of finding help, 10 out of 10. The guide was front and center on the homepage and was able to find my information in short time. Ease of use. Overall, it was a good experience. I will take some points away for the problems installing VLC and the lengthy process it took to add a printer. So with that said, I will give it a 7 out of 10. Plays nice with others. I did not try to dual boot this. Stability, 10 out of 10. I had not experienced any problems with it during the install or through the daily use. Final comments. Despite the few issues I had with the Mate Edition, I really enjoyed using Slackle. This was also my second look at Mate. I will definitely keep an eye on Slackle's progress. Even though I'm a huge Plasma fan, I didn't mind using Mate at all. The slap git commands, once you know them, are not any more different than using other terminal-based package managers. If a new or experienced user wants to try something that is not Debian or Ubuntu-based, Slackle Mate would be a good choice. Since I am a fan of KDE, I tried their KDE edition. It uses KDE 4.14.21 with kernel 4.4.23. It was last updated in 2016. I attempted to update it after installation and was given many errors. I did not go any further than that. This concludes my review of Slackle 7.3 64-bit Mate Edition. Thanks, Dale. We look forward to hearing more from you in the future. I'm doing something a bit different this month, and I'll start by telling you why. 
You may recall that last month I mentioned that a lot of new distros were due out at any time. None of them came out in time to do a full month's review, even with us postponing the show for a week. And the distros I tried, including OpenSUSE 15.2 Leap, Bionic Pup 64, Nitrux, and a few others, were not ready for use, gave me fits installing, and or did not appear to be intended for full-time use. Which left me two options. Review the elephant in the room, Linux Mint 20, or do something else. Maybe we'll do Mint next month, so it's something else. I did a full installation of OpenSUSE Leap 15.2 with help from listener Joshua Hawk. I wanted it on SDA3 on my laptop. It wanted to be on SDA5. I finally got it to accede to residing on SDA3, but it refused to see the EFI sector and would not write boot information. It continued to install and completed the installation, only to repeat that I did not have an acceptable EFI boot partition. So I now had a complete installation of an OS with no way to boot it. I might have tried my SuperGrub 2 disk, but I went out seeking other choices. I did spend some time in the OpenSUSE forum and the OpenSUSE section of linuxquestions.org, but got more questions rather than any answers. So on the 12th, I did a complete reinstallation. This time I let it use SDA5 as it wished, which also meant I had to do a new installation of Bodhi 5.1 onto SDA3 as it was now displaced. The installation completed. It found EFI just fine. But it did not boot my grub menu, nor did it show any other installations. It turns out OpenSUSE uses secure boot, which the other distros do not. I can still boot to it, but I have to use my F7 key, System76's magic key to get into BIOS boot, at boot time. If I don't hit F7, I can boot my other three distros, and if I do, I cannot boot OpenSUSE. A listener mentioned that I could have turned off Secure Boot in the installation process. I would point out that I had already tried to do things the installer preferred not to do and suffered as a result, so I'm loath to go back and reinstall again in the hopes I could achieve something else. So I was going to do Bionic Pup 64. This is a fun distro, and it boots from a live USB stick and runs entirely from RAM. It has a completely different window manager, JWM, and a different package system with a limited number of packages and not very current versions for most of these, and is clearly intended to be run on a stick, not installed. An installer is included, but there are a number of hoops to jump through to get it to work right. It is also intended to run as root, making it somewhat less secure than your everyday Linux distro. So I tried to check out Slackle 7.3, a Slackware-based distro that is intended to be used only as a live disk, as you've just heard from Dale. I burned it to a USB stick, and my computer could not see the stick upon reboot, so I have to see what I did wrong there. I burned it to a DVD, and it ran, but did not do many things requested of it. I also got help from Dale on the Telegram group to burn a stick direct from Terminal using DD, my first ever use of DD. And that also produced a bootable USB stick. It did not, however, produce a system running well enough to recommend. Cryptodan suggested I should not judge it prior to installing it on a drive, but I do not currently have a partition available for that, and had said so to the group before trying DD. All this discussion resulted in the review by Dale, which you just heard. Yesterday, I got the brand spanking new version of Gecko and tried it out. Using Calamaris Installer, this is a much easier way to get OpenSUSE on your system, but I'm not prepared to do much of a report on this right now. 
I was reminded that Dale Miracle had suggested we talk about what we have learned from distro hopping, and I presume multi-booting. I think I've answered that somewhat in the above, which is, you learn flexibility, and you learn which distros are good for which uses. You also develop your own opinions on these things, which may not coincide with the opinions of others on the same things. So what else have I learned? And Tony, please chime in with your own opinions as I go along. Number one, I've learned that I was mostly correct in the first place. There are only a few distros you would want to pass to a person who has only ever used Windows or Mac if you want them to love and continue to use Linux. Opinions vary as to which among the few. Yeah, I fully agree with that. As I said earlier, my main recommendation for new users would be one of the Ubuntu flavors or one of the mint spins. Generally, they're easy to use and there's a lot of support in the community to fall back on if needed. Some of the more niche distros only have small communities surrounding them. And some, not all, are not the friendliest of places for a new to get help. Okay, number two, I've learned that we are actually increasing fragmentation. It's great that you want to get purer and purer into what you think Linux should be, but if you leave everyone behind you, it's a net negative. Everyone has moved to EFI without secure boot. Be there with them. Nearly everyone has decided that Ubiquiti and Calamaris are the premier installers, so you should either use those or fork them. I'm not going to dictate package management, but if it isn't RPM, DEB, or an Arch package, you'd better have a flat pack app image or snap for it, or your software won't get used. If you change your package management, expect a blowback from your users. Yeah, I agree with that, um, that there's more fragmenta- uh, fragmentation, but it's not always a bad thing as some of the tools in these distros create to scratch their itch uh, if they're good they often make their way into the mainstream distros such as Debian, Ubuntu Mint you know and they benefit the whole Linux community one example is the developer of uh, Warpinator for the Mint I've heard from a very reliable source that <laughs> the Ubuntu community are in the process of packaging this as a snap so the distros will be able to use it so <laughs> despite Clem's rather uh, dismissive actions in regard to uh, Snap. The other parts of the community think some of Mint is quite valuable and want to snap it up, (laughs) so to speak. So this is payback to Clem, huh? He doesn't like Snap, (laughs) so we'll snap his package. (laughs) (laughs) Number three, everyone wants the desktop environment they want, or you need to show them the choices and stick to the main ones. I don't know the numbers, but a distro needs to come in at least three flavors, with the leading contenders being GNOME, Plasma, and XFCE, or forks from those projects, such as Cinnamon or Mate. As much as I love Enlightenment and its forks, almost nobody is using them, which makes them great for your home project, but not for a distro intended for newer users. My preference is Mate, then Moksha, and then Plasma. Others may want to only use XFCE or even GNOME. There are lots of good desktops you rarely see, such as Budgie or LXQT or Deepin. Then there are window managers, none of which are much use to newer users as they try to isolate the user from the mouse. 
Yeah, I 100% agree with that, Moss. But for me, the best desktop environment is the one you feel most comfortable using. Uh, if it and it suits the tasks you're using it for. So if you want to use a window manager, you know, tiling window manager or open box, which is not tiling, go for it. But uh, I'm still more comfortable using the mouse and Windows like desktop environment right well most new users are coming from windows and if the, the more it yeah. looks and feels like windows the more likely they are to continue using it and then yeah. maybe they'll get around to a window manager or something that doesn't look like windows later yeah that's 100 percent. number four i've learned that the people you are least likely to please are not the newer users but the old guard they probably know more than you or i do about a lot of things but they have the most set opinions and you're never going to make them happy. Listen to their criticism. See if you can learn something from it, but keep it away from your sensitive spots. <laughs> As I said a few minutes ago, there are parts of the community that I would fear to tread and that no new would feel comfortable in. If there were one thing in the Linux community I would love to change, it's the RTFM Brigade. Atti their attitude to that their particular part of the Linux world is the only, only for those that can be self-reliant and you should not be asking silly questions. Lest we forget, even Linus was a noob once, as we all were. So if you don't have time to help in, at that particular moment in a forum or when a question's asked, should probably not be in the forum at that time anyway. Uh, and if something you don't know yourself, then I'd say uh, just hope that another community member does and you can pro and they can provide the support needed. You don't have to be rude to the person asking the question. Right. If you don't know something, just say you don't know something and leave it for someone else. Yeah, correct. Or don't say anything. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> Well, that's about all I can think of for this topic right now. Feel free to let us know if we missed anything or let us know your opinions on what we covered. For now, let's move on to new releases. New releases this month are from June 18th to July 22nd. As usual, I start with the most current, Omarine 7.0. Gecko Linux 15, uh, 152, Debian 9.13.0, KOS 2020.07, Volumio 2.799, RoboLinux 11.05, Bluestar 5.7.8, Linux FX 10.4, KDE Neon 2020 0.716, Archman 2020-07, EasyOS 2.3.3, Endeavor OS 2020.07.15, Univention 4.4-5, Smoothwall 3.1-SP, Oberun 2020.07.01, Slackle 7.3, Robolinux 11.04, ArcoLinux 20.7.5, Neptune 6.5, Exa 2020.0707, Sparky Linux 5.12, Nomad BSD 1.3.2, Clonezilla Live 2.6.7-28, Solid XK 10.4, GParthead Live 1.1.0-3, Zenwalk 15.0-2007073A, OpenSUSE 15.2, Tails 4.8, Linux Mint 20 All Flavors, 
GRML 20.06, Calculate Linux 20.6, Oracle Linux 8.2, Robo Linux 11.02, and RescueZilla 1.06. In feedback, we've had lots of discussions in our Telegram group, some of which has already been mentioned. No email other than spam has been received. Announcements. My work here and at Mintcast can be supported by joining my sponsors or by direct donation through sponsors or PayPal. I have one recurring sponsor. Many thanks to SK Beans for joining up. I am very grateful for all donations which have been or will be received. We would like to thank the Mintcast crew for our use of their mumble room. We'll be taking a couple weeks longer this time due to Tony's schedule, and our next show will be recorded on or about September 10th, 2020. Visit our website at https colon slash slash distrohoppersdigest.blogspot.com and follow us on MeWe, Telegram, and the Mintcast Discord groups. You can ta- contact either Tony or me at distrohoppersdigest at gmail.com. Before we go... We would also like to thank all those who make this project possible, starting with the Mintcast podcast team for allowing us to use their Mumble server, Archive.org for storing and helping to distribute this program, Audacity, which we use for recording and editing the show, Joshua Lowe for work on our logo, all those who work on the teams which are creating, adapting and maintaining the Linux distros we have reviewed this episode. Mid-Air Machine, creators of the song Streets of Santivo, used as our music under Creative Commons license. Thanks to Linus Torvalds for the kernel, Richard Stallman for the GNU toolkit, and for all those who've worked behind the scenes on free and open source Libre software. And thanks to the rest of the Mintcast team for letting us use their Discord channel and lots of encouragement. We shall be back next episode. Thank all of you for listening. <music>